I'm Nimesh Guerra, your host for today's episode of The Chain, and it's my pleasure today to introduce our guest for today's episode, who's an accomplished executive, inventor, and scientist well-known to everyone in the antibody world, Dr. Rakesh Dixit. Rakesh is currently the president and CEO of BioNavigen and has over 35 years of experience with top biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies, including Merck, Johnson & Johnson, and Medimmune AstraZeneca. He has unique expertise in developing biologics, such as monoclonal antibodies, bispecifics, ADCs to name a few, and also small molecule biopharmaceuticals. Welcome to the chain, Rakesh. Uh, thank you, Nimesh. Really appreciate you inviting me for this podcast. Uh, let me tell you something about the company that I'm managing right now and uh, and also a little bit about my background. Great. So the company BioNavigen Oncology LLC is largely a, or I will say, a consulting advising company, advise a lot of companies in terms of their drug development programs uh, in the oncology side. Uh, that include the biospecifics, uh, monospecifics, uh, antibody drug conjugates, um, and many other modalities, as, as well as I help companies to do diligences on programs. I work with investors. I help companies to out-license their molecules, as well as also help them to in-license the molecules. So that's basically what I've been doing for the last four years. Prior to that, I was a global head in R&D, uh, managing almost 90 people at Medimmune AstraZeneca Biologics site, uh, where I managed multiple programs, including uh, ADCs, where I have a special interest being a, being a toxicologist by training. So uh, it's natural for me to be interested on the safety side of, uh, of the biologics program. So I was managing the safety assessment for AstraZeneca Biologics team uh, at Medimmune. Uh, prior to that, I was with J&J and Merck. So I've been in industry for over 35 years. I have worked with the small molecule drugs for about half of my career and about more than half of my career now in the biologics. So so that's a basically my background. So uh, thank you, Nimish, for, for the nice... Great, great. Thank you for that explanation, Rakesh. So, you know, I'm going to come directly to our topic for today, which is around bispecific ADCs. And before we, we jump into uh, the actual topic, you know, the two areas of bispecifics and ADCs have been growing steadily over the last few years, with almost both of them having somewhat of a renaissance in the recent uh, years. You know, we've had a lot of approvals in bispecifics in the last couple of years, as well as in ADCs. And ADCs, of course, are having a blockbuster moment uh, with last year and this year with not only approvals, but also a lot of interest from big pharma around acquisition and then trying to position themselves in that space. So, uh, you know, you've worked in both of these areas and, you know, I wanted to uh, get from you on what you're thinking about uh, right now on what's going on with bispecifics and ADCs and what your your thoughts and, uh, and you know, ideas are around them. Oh, thank you. Great question, Animesh. Uh, I would say that uh, I started working with a biospecific molecule, I would say maybe about 10 or 12 years back uh, in my previous role. And what interested us in biospecific was that we needed to find a way to increase the, the killing of the tumor cells uh, in the oncology. So there are many ways you can kill tumors. 
Uh, one is through the target modulation. So if you have two targets, especially those two targets, they are they are part of the resistance mechanism of each other. So by hitting both of them, uh, could help you to neutralize both of them, degrade both. Uh, and then the second way we thought about doing was that if there is a way to enhance the killing power in them uh, by providing them some armaments, where basically either either by the by the cytotoxic drug or engaging with the immune effector functions uh, like like T cells, NK cells, that could that could also bring more killing. So very first molecule that I worked in 2006 when I joined MedImmune at that time, we got acquired by us, was a CD3 biospecific molecule, uh, Blinsato, which be- became a actually a drug. It was a, one arm was targeting CD19, another arm was three. It's basically was SCFV joined by a flexible peptide. Um, and that had given really good data. The, the disadvantage of that molecule at that time was they were too toxic and the dosing was. So over the years, we learned how to make the biospecifics. We learned how to adjust the affinity. And in terms of the biospec ADCs, to me, the major rationale for creating the biospecifics, which are very similar to biospecific molecules, except in ADC, you are, you are, you are um, having the, the uh, instead of immune cells, uh, uh, use as a killing power. You're using a, a cytotoxic drug or or other drugs that have a significant uh, antiviral properties. So I think we all know that complexity of the cancer disease. There are multiple pathways. Cancer upregulate to survive um, and prosper uh, in our uh, body. Um, and I think one of the key reasons why you want to develop BiSPC is that when there is resistance going on and a tumor intentionally adapting and losing the target, then a, a monospecific ADC does not have any chance to get inside the tumor. So having two targets present will allow you to get more ADC into the tumor, especially if these two pathways are not redundant and they are part of the distance mechanism uh, uh, you know, of the tumors. For example, for HER3 uh, targeting, where we know in the mutant, those 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 patients where there is a metaphor gene uh, and then the molecules don't work, whether it's EGFR antibody or EGFR TKIs, there's a quite a bit of relation HER3 target or CMET target. So if you have a biospecific that targets both targets, uh, EGFR as well as have much better chance of, of producing the, the cancer killing. The other way of specific ADC that I worked many years back was bipartite, means two epitopes that by targeting that, that you could create a, what I call multivalent uh, ADC antibody molecule that can deliver more of the, the, the antibody inside the tumor cell. And that also allows to bring more payload into the tumor. I think the concept of bispecific ADC or bipartite ADC makes a lot of sense, especially in beating the tumor resistance and, and not allowing tumors to utilize too many compensatory pathways. Um, and the second thing also from the biospecific ADC is what I noticed is that sometimes a biospecific ADC can bring a new molecule. Not possible if you combine two ADCs using this using two different targets. So that's not. I always have been very much interested how this ability-based targeting can bring a new action. Uh, uh, using the two complementary antigens. Um, and second thing I would say in terms of safety advantage will be 
that you have a two targets. Maybe there's one target on normal healthy cells, not the not the second one. That could allow this is this, this uh, what I active targeting of two antigen may reduce toxicity because because of internalization is dependent on both targets that may disallow a lot more internalization of the AD in a normal healthy cell because it has only one target. So basically, a bispecific ADC could increase on-target engagement, that means increased efficacy, and it can decrease off-target engagement. And and we, we did with different, depending on the format you use, you could have a low affinity, uh, monoware biospecific, with that we could decrease the on-target toxicity, engaging it differently because when it sees two target, it's maybe only one target. So I think that's that's a that's kind of uh, design concept that I had in mind. Great. Uh, thank you, Rakesh. I think you went over a lot of uh, really, really good points around bispecific ADCs. And, and I think uh, maybe we can delve a little bit deeper in each of these uh, one by one. So uh, I think the first one I'm uh, quite intrigued and interested about as an antibody engineer is uh, affinity to the two targets. And you know, you you mentioned a little bit about that you can tune the affinity in such a way that it can recognize more on the on target and less on the of off target. Now, you know, those concepts are are are, are have been validated and, and done to some extent for bispecifics. But I think in, in the case of bispecific ADCs, like you mentioned, now that you have a payload that's attached, that itself also makes this even more challenging because the, the payload may may impact certain tissues more than others. And, and we want to make sure that we're not attacking specific tissues that the payload may, may be interact more with. So I guess in, in your mind, when you're tuning affinities for a bispecific ADCs, what are some of the factors that you think uh, people should keep in mind as they are thinking about what payload to use? And could they could they use the same payload? Should, should they change payloads? I guess I just wanted to know, how do you think about that from a payload perspective when you're thinking about affinity of the two arms? That's really an excellent question. And I, and I think you... You hit on the mark. I think the very first bipyrotopic antibody drug conjugate that I worked was Medi-4206. This was a bipyrotopic uh, antibody that basically was hitting two different HER2 epitope. One is very similar to what is used uh, for Herceptin. A second one was that's more like a pertuzumab where you are working on the dimerization uh, of the HER2 because for the HER2 to be active, it does require that. And, and by creating that specific, this tetravalent uh, biospecific antibody, uh, and then conjugating with a, with a really potent payload, we were able to almost kill uh, all type of tumor cells expressing HER2, low, low expression to medium expression to high expression. And, and the preclinical data was outstanding. However, what we realized that when we went to non-human primate study, that this bipyrotopic antibody drug conjugate based on the license was a little bit too toxic compared to other HER2 ADs. And part of the reason, in my opinion, was that bipyrotopic antibody did allow more internalization. That means bringing more payload inside. However, it's also bringing more payload in the normal healthy cells. And, and what happened in the clinic is to sum it up that we did see activity of the molecule. It behaved beautifully even in low HER2 cancer. But the toxicity 
of the TiVo license payload basically killed the development. So lesson that I learned from that experience was if you're going to create a better internalizing antibody that internalizes more in the tumor and and the target is not totally clean because we know that HER2 is not the most clean target, that you need to reduce the potency. You can't have very potent because that will be disaster for the for the ADC because the the balance between normal tissue toxicity and and the tumor killing uh, will will not be uh, uh, appropriate because of uh, uh, too much normal toxic normal tissue toxicity that's not allowing to dose higher doses and therapeutic indexes. So that's one one learning lesson for making the bioparatopic DC was that if you're going to in, increase the internalization of your molecule and the target is not where you need to reduce the potency, we could have used a different payload like Satikan or something probably would have been successful. Or so that's lesson one. The second lesson that I'm learning from other companies' experiences, which uh, I've been observing, another molecule that I worked was the EGFR CMAT. And this is a this is an excellent pair of a target because of the CMAT um, also is upregulated quite a bit during, during the resistance process. Uh, when you are uh, hitting the FR target, and that that EGFR CMET targeting, we knew that the CMET and EGFR are not necessarily the cleanest target. EGFR, we all know, there is present pretty high levels on the skin, and the CMET could also present in ocular tissues. So what we did is that we try to reduce the affinity to EGFR and continue to maintain reasonable CMET to reduce the skin tox. And we did several experiments where we created low affinity, high affinity, different kind of constructs uh, of the of the EGFR CMAT molecule. And finally, we selected a format which will give us less skin tox and, and still. So I think this is where some of the modeling, some of the trial and error uh, comes in. To pay attention to target expression. If a target is highly present on normal healthy tissues, and even if you are pairing with it, you got to be careful how do you adjust affinity. Uh, you can't keep very high affinity and expect that you will not see toxicity. You may, you may like to compromise on the affinity to a, a component of your bias much more present on, on normal healthy tissues than on yours. So there are some of the lessons on bias. Great. That was an excellent example, Rakesh, because I was going to head there next with my other question around uh, targets for bi-specific ADCs. And of course, you mentioned uh, EGFR and CMET. Uh, in, you know, early on in your introduction, you talked about looking at targets uh, that are sort of related to each other or have some type of crosstalk. I guess generally when, when people are selecting targets for bi-specific ADCs, what are some of the things that people should be keeping in mind in, in addition to affinity? And then uh, the other related question I had was, you know, sometimes, you know, these bi-specific molecules, the way we imagine them is that they're going to bind the two targets at the same time. But right. the reality is, you know, they may be binding only one at a time, right? And, and the other one is just there for the ride. You may still have more than one binding site and you may at attack, you know, cells that are expressing both of the targets, but then there will also be uh, tissues or maybe instances where the bispecific is only binding from one arm. So, you know, I, I think this is a two-part question, maybe first focusing in general about uh, targets for bispecific ADCs and then talking about this um, binding, which is called like and binding two at a time and then or binding, which is only one at a time maybe. I think this this is a this is really a very important question for those who are entering in the biospecific field. And in my experience, 
the best biospecific ADC that I have seen are those uh, which really take advantage of, of the expression of two targets. They, they look into target and they look at the expression level, especially the expression during the distance process. Like when the tumors are developing resistance against a target X, what else is getting up and, and, and paying attention to those upregulated targets because that's one way you will be able to beat the resistance process and is still able to achieve you. And, and so, so that's, that's one approach of selecting the target. The second approach that I have used, try to select the target in my opinion, that are first clinically validated, that there is a clinical proof of uh, mechanism or concept uh, that will fit in very nicely with the bias. Also, these two bias-specific tar- targets should not antagonize each other, should be complementary. That means hitting both of them will enhance it will enhance the ability effects and internalization of you. I, I, think, I think these are some of the criteria. And then the, the other one is that when you select these two target pair, make sure that these both targets are not heavily present on normal healthy cells either. Uh, otherwise, you could end up theoretically in more toxic. So these are some of the considerations that I have given in terms of bispecific uh, targeting. Um, in, in terms of your other questions about, you know, if one target is present very high number, high copy number, and second target is present with low copy number, how do you take the advantage of these two? And I think this is where, in my opinion, the dosing comes in, where if you use a payload, which is very potent and you are unable to dose very high, what will happen is that at the doses that where you can dose safe, most of your ADC is going to target one because it's very high copy number and it's basically is the acting as a sink for your However, if you're able to dose a little bit higher with the right payload, you will be able to take the advantage of the second payload because one target gets saturated eventually, and then it can hit the second target, and then you have a second means of getting. Especially if the two targets are not adjacent to each other or the copy numbers are not same. Uh, if the copy numbers are high for both of them and you have a reasonable affinity, I think this this uh, you know this uh, ability effects multivalency effects could still bring both targets, drag them together to come inside this. So I think those are some of the learning that I had uh, in creating these uh, important bias. Great. Thanks, Rakesh. So as you were talking about the dosing, you know, another thing that I started talking, thinking about was um, PK and half-life. You know, when a target is expressed at high levels, we worry about uh, the short half-life of, of the ADC molecule. And now when you have two targets uh, that might be expressed on, on tumor cells, but may also be present on, on normal tissue, albeit they may not be present on the same tissue, but might be on different tissues, mm-hmm. then you expect even more drastic effects of you know target mediated drug disposition so i'm uh, i'm curious to know what is your stand on uh, pk for maybe bispecific molecules and and then you know to me uh, in general adcs have not had good pk so uh, also overall in general for adcs what is your, your your what are your thoughts around pk of of these molecules so the the, the pk is important for ADC for for same reason as it's important for any other molecule. And the part of the reason is that the the tumor uptake of large molecule, whether it's large molecule antibody bias or ADC, is 
not very high, very small percent of the molecules, quite often less than 0.1% of the total dose uh, gets into it. Uh, so the question becomes, when such a small amount is getting in and you're losing that molecule too quickly in the circulation, that means there's not much left to get in. It's not, it's not the best thing because that could end up in having too many, what I call it, um, drug holidays. And if the tumor does not see the killing drug, it will evolve and it will develop, start developing resistance mechanism by either losing the target or developing resistance against the payload by developing efflux transporters or doing something where the, the lysosomal trafficking is, is, is decreased or release of the payload is decreased or lowering the level of proteases or beta glucuronidase, whatever the linker-based mechanism you have, this can happen. The best way to kill a tumor is to continuously expose it to the payload, the killing. And if the half-life of your ADC is short, that means it's just getting getting broken down, the molecule is getting broken down in liver and other places very quickly, and the, there's not enough exposure to your, your parent drug. In that case, there are opportunity to increase the exposure either by giving more frequent dosing, what I call a fractionated dosing, where you increase the total exposure and, and lower the CMAX-based uh, um, toxicity as that done with the PATSIP molecule, or in some cases where you may consider increasing the half-life of your uh, ADC, uh, especially the parent drug antibody, by creating some mutations in the FC, FCFCRN binding, where you increase the, the affinity to bind to FCRN at the low acidic pH, that will allow your ADC to be present uh, uh, for multiple cycles of exposure uh, and maintain enough drug in the circulation. And if the more if the if there is a good exposure in the circulation over the time, likelihood over time you're going to deliver more payload. In fact, we did some studies. Uh, in my previous roles, where we did compare the half-life of the ADCs versus the tolerated dose, found that the tolerated dose was much, much better if the half-life was longer than when the half-life was shorter. And and the part of the reason could be because the longer half-life ADCs acts more like a continuous infusion of a drug versus dumping versus short half-life ADC, which is which is releasing. Uh, too much of the payload too quickly, and you end up in having too too much Cmax-based toxicity. Some toxicities are Cmax-based, some are some are exposure-based. So if you want to reduce Cmax-based toxicity, in my opinion, then a longer half-life ADC is good. But in some cases, if the toxicity is more AUC-dependent, a long half-life ADC may produce some unwanted toxicity. So it's a, basically a balance between these two that. If you have toxicity question about long-term toxicity, then maybe a longer half-life ADC may not be the best, then we have to play around with dosing schedule in clinic. In fact, that's what, what's, what's happening with lots of where we expect, uh, where we have rewired some ADC program by actually having a fractionated doses to minimize the CMAX-based toxicity while decent exposure around the clock. Great, Prakash. So maybe I'll, I will double-click a little bit on this concept that you talked about and maybe think more in the context of bispecific or biparatopic ADCs, where you could expect that the TMDD could be greater than a normal, normal ADC. Do you think the same concepts would apply there as well, or would you have to keep in mind something else because you have more than one target? 
I, I think it's really important. I mean, it, I think this is where it goes into target. If these, these two targets, let's assume that you select a target by target pair, a bias, which also is heavily present on normal healthy tissues or has a high sink, you could, you could lose a lot of your ADC molecule in the periphery before it reaches the tumor. So you really want, don't want to do that. And if there is no way to avoid that, maybe in that case, a longer half-life ADC, despite the sink effect, could it still be uh, functional and you, you might be able to develop it. I have seen the half-life, uh, if the half-life of ADC only two or three days, for example. So theoretically, you're not going to see the exposure beyond eight or 10 days. If you have a three-week of dosing cycle, that means for first 10 days, you had a reasonable exposure uh, to your ADC in the tumor, and the remaining two weeks don't have much, which is not a good thing. You have to figure out a way to maintain drug exposure at least uh, predominant time of your cycle. Uh, in that case, either you give it two weeks, every two weeks of your drug, or you give weekly uh, dosing and then have a sometime in between. You know, what I have seen some dosing is scheduled where you give on week one and then you give on week two and then your week is off and then you start again. So those are some of those things that can be done with the bi-specific uh, ADCs as well. Uh, having said that, this is where I think the target selection for BICE, how do you adjust the affinity uh, is, is an important. But the good news now is that we have now a lot of experience in creating really good biospheric antibodies. We are learning a lot. There's a lot more approval as we have seen uh, with many biospecifics are getting approved, not especially uh, biospecific that are based on more T-cell engager type of concept. But the success of EGFR uh, CMET uh, antibody as well as EGFR HER3 ADC that we have seen, and also the the another bipyotopic ADC made by Zymeworks, they all tell you that the the technology is maturing, although it's not there yet. Where we have learned how to adjust the affinity for biospecific and also select the right target for the best in class biospec. Because personally, for me. This is where I see the future of ADC field because we are we are running out of targets for for ADC programs because we we are learning how many hard to ADC you can develop how many nectin force you can develop time to take the advantage of some uh, ways of increasing the uh, killing power of the ADC by targeting two different uh, targets which are complementary to each other and perhaps may also help to reduce uh, one or two. Um, that's that's just my mind. Great. Thanks, Rakesh, for those thoughts. So we've talked a lot about uh, the antibody portion of the bispecific ADC around the affinity, target selection, the half-life, and the PK. I guess, um, what are your thoughts around payload selection for bispecific ADCs? I know you touched a little bit on your, your own experience with the bipart topic or two, but are there general considerations that people should keep in mind when they are developing bispecific ADCs around payloads, because, you know, you might be limited with uh, the the payload that works the best with the highest expressing target. And, you know, if the highest expressing targets gets toxicity, then you may not even be able to get to a dose where the second target would be effective. So just wondering what your thoughts are around payload selection for bispecific ADCs. Uh, I think that's one of the most important questions because, as you know, the payload is the one that is actually killing a tumor. Um, target modulation does have some effect, but 
uh, is the payload is that is accountable, especially you see part of the biospecific that is responsible for killing tumors. So the potency of the payload has to match with the target. So my 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 general formula is that if the target is not entirely clean, so like, let's see if you have EGFR HERT or EGFR CMAT or some other targets which are are reasonably present on the on the normal health tissues. In that case, I will stay away from like DNA damaging payloads or like PBDs uh, or ducaromycins or calichamycin. How even MME, I will get worried about because of the neuropathy, uh, significant anemia. I will tend to use a little bit more moderate payloads like uh, topoisomerism, a bit camptothecin based, atecan, DXT like. So, if the target expression is not totally clean, it's better to use less potent load. Uh, if the target is reasonably clean, there's opportunity, especially in the heme tumors, that you might be able to get away with uh, with a more potent payload. Where you're, if you are going after the tumors that don't, uh, uh, you know, the cell proliferation rate is lower for them. They are slow growing tumors. For slow growing tumors, uh, a mitotic poison may not do well, or topoisomerase inhibitors may not do well. Then you may like to go after the DNA damaging type, of, as I have seen with some some other targets. So that's kind of a little, I will say, uh, practical uh, basis of selecting the payload. But clearly, for the target which are not necessarily very clean in terms of the expression level in normal, whether it's monospecific or bias, my recommendation is to not because the potent payloads do not allow dosing higher doses. That means that will limit the delivery of the payload tumors. Um, and if the you cannot deliver enough of the payload in the tumor, then it's just not going to do well. The second thing is also given the heterogeneity of the target expression, it is still important that the payload should have other properties, especially the immunogenic cell death, uh, as well as bystand effect. And the bystand effect is important for, for a payload because quite often the target expression heterogeneous. We need to make sure that uh, the payload, wherever it's produced in lysosome, is able to escape uh, outside the mother cell and hit the cells in the tumor microenvironment, as well as produce toxicity to other neighboring tumor cells, which may not have ability to actually internalize it. So I think these are the kind of concept, having a immunogenic cell death in the payload, having a good bystander effect, uh, even in the bystander effect, the, the payload that diffuses reasonably well, but not diffuses too quickly outside the lysosome without hitting the target, those are important characteristics of the, uh, besides the uh, hydrophobicity, um, hydrophilicity, uh, half-life, all those things are extremely important for it. Great. Well, thank you so much for explaining that. I think this was very, very helpful. I guess so my my last question for today is, uh, what should we be watching out for in the bi-specific ADC space over the next few years? Where do you think this field is going to go? I think this field is is uh, is very rapidly moving. Where um, companies are taking advantage of two validated targets and then trying to figure it out how we can take the advantage of two validated targets, especially with high copy numbers target, where can we enhance the the uptake of ADs uh, and release more payload uh, compared to one target uh, with a two target? And that's one thing. So you're going to see that. Second, we are also looking into how we can take advantage of biospecific targeting to deliver uh, uh, 
not not necessarily more payload, but also reduce the what I call it on target uh, uh, by by having very carefully designed uh, by specific uh, either by valency changes or some other means of uh, of creating a uh, better by specific. So I would not be surprised that you will see more by specific ADC coming in future. Not only GFR HER3 for CMET, you might see. HER2, HER3, you might see Nectin 4 trap, you might see HER2 trap. I think all these combinations are 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 likely to come in the future. And and I think time has come where we start taking the advantage of two target uh, um, biospecific uh, ADCs. Obviously, the challenges remain that you need to still work on the on the target specificity, uh, careful selection of target to minimize uh, both on and off target toxicity, maintaining good half life for DCs. So the, all these things that I discussed earlier, they still are very important. Uh, bias, but bias specific ADCs, in my experience or in my projection, is the future of the. Great, that's very very exciting. So thanks, Rakesh. It's been great chatting with you today, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and sharing your experience with our listeners. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Please join us again as we release new episodes every month. Enjoy listening to this and some of our previous episodes on the Chain website. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nimesh. I really appreciate your time and excellent question. Thank you.